0: This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. So what are we supposed to make of the Enneagram anyways? I mean, when people are saying these numbers, what, what, what's the, what could be the harm in that? And I'm not sure if there is or not, but that's why I have on the podcast today Dr. Chris Berg, who has written his doctoral dissertation on the Enneagram. And he helps us look at the worldview that comes behind and generally with the Enneagram. I think you'll find this really interesting. He helped me think through some of this. And honestly, I hadn't been someone who had done it, but I had, you know, explored it before, and maybe just my own busy schedule made it so I never did an Enneagram test myself. But I think you'll find this interesting. So check this out with Dr. Chris Berg. Oh, by the way, I'm Andy Miller, and welcome to the More to the Story podcast. We're thankful that we have an opportunity to produce this content that comes out on a regular basis where we are sharing from orthodox wesleyan convictions in a regular basis and that means interviews like this and sometimes it's content that i produce kind of like sermons and teaching that come out on a regular basis blogs you can go to andymillerthe3rd.com to find out more and this podcast is also brought to you by wpo development They are a company that comes alongside of churches and organizations and institutions, nonprofits, um, groups like uh, academic institutions as well, and helps them develop a plan. Like that's one of the challenges that organizations have when they wanna build a building and wanna raise money is they don't have a clear plan in place. And so they lead people through a mission planning study process where they have a variety of tools that they've shown to work all across the country. And then they develop a strategic plan ultimately leading to a place where you can have a capital campaign and if you were to go through like this even like major cities in the united states likely keith and his team have come alongside an organization and led them to build a building somewhere in that city i mean it's amazing 250 times he has led organizations to successful capital campaigns so i encourage you to check them out you can just google wpo development or you can find a link to keith's email address in the show notes here also, this podcast, I'm so thankful, is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, who enabled me the time to be able to create this content. Wesley Biblical Seminary is developing trusted leaders for faithful congregations, and we do that through a variety of programs. Some of that's like the traditional program of bachelor's, master's of divinity, ma- ma- master's of arts, a doctor of ministry degrees for ministry leaders, full-time ministry leaders. But not just that. Notice what we say. like We are developing Trusted leaders. That means if you're leading a Sunday school class, we likely have something that we offer you here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We have probably 200 people who aren't seeking to serve as like lead pastors of their church. Instead, they're probably Sunday school teachers, they're lay leaders, and we would love for you to participate in one of our certificate programs or even audit a class. There's a lot of great options for that, and we'd love for you to check that out at WBS.edu. Now, Check out this interview that's coming up here with Dr. Chris Berg. I hope you'll enjoy it. God bless you. Well, I'm so glad you've come along for the More to the Story podcast. Today is an interesting subject, something I've wanted to delve into longer for a while now and i have an expert on to talk about it with me and that is dr chris berg who lives in durham north carolina he has recently completed a phd in apologetics and he's been able to direct that focus to aspects of the new age movement and the way they're expressing themselves in our time so I, i heard chris on sean mcdowell's podcast and i was fascinated with the way he was able to deal with the questions it was i think the dissertation was pretty fresh at the time and it was just all right there on the tip of his tongue and so i wanted to get him on here as well so chris welcome to the podcast
1: hey nice to meet you dr miller nice to meet you
0: and i should say dr berg there we go uh i don't i don't you can feel free to call me andy i i'm still getting used to being called. i most of the time when i was called uh doctor in my, when I was serving as a pastor, people would say doctor or whatever. is a sarcastic, <laughs> thing, but now I have to get used to students and other folks saying it uh, in, in that way, like with appropriately. So I appreciate it, but feel free to call me Andy. It's all right if I call you, Chris. Yes, absolutely. So I wanted to just talk about some of the things that are related to this book. Now that you've published this book, your dissertation, and I was able to see dissertation version, which was really helpful, but it's called the new age Trojan horse, the new age Trojan. So Before we get into what you think these Trojan horses might are, um, particularly related to the Enneagram, talk to me about your research into the New Age movement as a whole. Now, you and I are probably, you're probably a bit younger than me, but as we, the New Age movement predates us. And so I'd be curious if you could help us understand the New Age movement before we get into how it's expressing itself.
1: Sure, absolutely. Now, the key thing to understand as we begin to dive into the New Age movement is that like many movements, this has gone through phases. And what it looks like now is superficially very different than what it looked like in the 70s. And this is one of the reasons why it's been so effective at infiltrating Christianity and beginning to change our world view. Okay. So back in the 70s, in response to a number of different things, in response to things like that happened recently, the Vietnam War, in response to uh, the peace movements in the 60s, in response to the sexual revolution, um, in response to uh, distrust of institutions, you were seeing people and spiritual leaders and gurus from many different faiths coming together, blending and syncretizing, and again, that's a form of blending, syncretizing their beliefs into this thing called the new age movement. Now it's not a monolithic organization. It's really sure. a bunch of different organizations, a bunch of different people that kind of have a similar world view, okay. And that worldview is framed by the following things. First, that we are inherently God. Okay. So it's pantheistic or panentheist, depending on which version. But we absolutely, unanimously. Okay, let me
0: just, uh, people might not know the distinction you made there. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no. it's, it's a good, it's a helpful helpful distinction to make. And sometimes this is the type of thing you would receive if you went to Wesley Biblical Seminary, a difference between pantheism and panentheism. Could you just help us know the difference there? Sure. Pantheism is more the idea that
1: all substance is one monism and all substance is God. Panentheism is the idea that God's soul spirit is somehow incarnate or inside of you. And so your spiritual nature is God, even though your material nature may not be.
0: Okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. That each of these world, the you're talking about the new age worldview. That's one of the, the key attributes.
1: Key things, yeah. The second piece is that humanity is fundamentally good. The third piece is that in order to be saved, in their language or terminology, uh, one must dive into oneself, uh, engage in ritual spiritual practices, and attain enlightenment and the realization that you are God. And four, and finally, that if you walk through this and the whole world joins with you, we will enter a new utopian age. And so the utopian vision, very strong in new age. Now we jump to modern day, all of that philosophy and theology is still there. You don't see as much of the crystals and you don't see as much of the tarot readings and things like that as much anymore. Now you see those, those worldviews applied to things like healthcare products. You mm. see those worldviews applied to things like self-help books. Right. You see them applied to mysticism. Right. Uh, You you see them applied to rituals and things that people would engage in more in a, a secular sense, but now they have this new age undergirding as well. For example, there's nothing wrong with taking a health supplement, but now if you really investigate the companies, you find, oh, they have a massive new age worldview that they're purporting. So we're seeing that as the transition. It's becoming more mainstream, and it's becoming much more normalized.
0: It's interesting, you bring up health products, but even like regular commercial products that we'd use on a regular basis. I noticed that some shampoos even say things like nowadays, Um, sorry, I'm I'm laughing before the punchline, Uh, like self-esteem boosting, (laughs) right? Like Really, head and shoulders can do that? (laughs) But this traces to this idea, like people are looking for something to orient their lives. Like they're looking for a worldview direction for, for, and this, we, interesting, I just had on, I, I'm not sure when the, well, after he published, Dr. George Yancey, and he was talking about how progressive Christianity and conservative Christianity really are functioning sociologically as two different religions. Yes. And so what he was suggesting is that the reason is, is that you have different worldviews. So th- that's what you're saying here too, is that we have a different, a, a, an entirely different worldview from the, in the new age movement.
1: That's exactly right. And unfortunately, what's happening, and we'll probably get into this in your questions later, but Christians are essentially co-opting practices uh, that are new, that are fundamentally new age in their thinking and philosophy that are given a Christian veneer and they're co-opting them into their lives. And that begins corrupting their belief systems.
0: Okay. Now that expresses itself. You suggest in your thesis is that this is expressed in the movement of the Enneagram. And, and you'd even probably say the worldview of yes, the Enneagram. Sure. And yes. I'll don't, I know some of you already are pushing back saying, oh, Andy, you need to just back off here. This is just, and we'll we'll get to some of like this is just something it helps me. And we'll get to those questions in a second. But I want Dr. Berg to help us see first the, the connection. And then we'll I'll I'll try to throw some questions that some of you have given me. So what's the connection then? Like what where is what is the Enneagram? I'll tell you my little experience with it is. All of a sudden everybody or not everybody, many people in my world started saying, uh, defending themselves, saying, I'm a four, I'm a three, I'm a two. and I admittedly am a person who doesn't I don't always get on the cutting edge of things. I just it's nobody will be surprised if anybody who knows me with that. But I was resistant to it and then I was cautious. But I'm just curious what so if somebody doesn't know what we're talking about. What is Enneagram anyways?
1: Sure. And, and actually, I any mean, we can even dialogue a little bit on this and have a little bit of fun with this one because uh, I, I like doing this. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you the definition. Okay. Now, okay. this is Christopher Huritz's book. He's one of the top Christian Enneagram uh, uh, authors out there at this point. It's him, Richard Rohr, and Crown and Stable are, are probably the top ones. And the McCords are pretty high up there too in terms of their influence, but they're less on the theology of it. Whereas Huritz is going to go through the theology. And I'm just going to read you this quote. And I want you to you to tell me if your, if your apologetics uh, ears perk up. How's that sound? Okay, I'm listening. Often misunderstood as simply a personality tool to describe quirks and traits of people's individuality, the Enneagram goes much further than mere caricatures. The contemporary Enneagram of personality illustrates the nine ways we get lost but also the nine ways we can come home to our true self. Put another way, it exposes the nine ways we lie to ourselves about who we think we are. Nine ways we can come clean about those illusions and nine ways we can find our way back to God. Wow. All right. That's the definition right there from here. It's his book now. What are your thoughts? <laughs> as you hear well, that,
0: as I, I mean, my immediate thought is like the way you trace the nature of worldview, it has it all in there. There's not one mention of God. It's like we, we, uh, we acknowledge our problems, our, our flaws, yes. we are brought back, what is it that brings us back these nine ways to bring us back. And then ultimately, it leads us to a utopian better world. So right. it doesn't really sound like a uh, there's nothing about the atoning work of Jesus in there, his uh, coming again, the resurrection of the dead, none of that.
1: <laughs> well, not only none of that, but this replaces it. And I'll go ahead and walk you through If I could, I'll walk you please through do, now. Please do, please do, yeah. How it does. So first, <clears throat> notice that it says we're coming home to our true self. The true self is defined by Richard Rohr, who's the primary influence of Huritt's, is the deepest part of you is God. He denies classical theism. And I think the Enneagram essentially affirms this belief, denies classical theism, affirms panentheism that God is incarnate, incarnate, same as Jesus, incarnate in all people. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Thus, the real problem is not sin. And they all essentially agree this. It's not sin. It's It's the false self, which is the reality that you don't understand that you're God. Now, what does that sound like? new age, just what I had said earlier. So you don't know your true self. You don't know that you're at the deepest part of you as God, and you have to get your way back. Not the atonement, not Jesus Christ dying for your sins, not, not, not having the blood cover you, not resurrection. No, you have to make yourself get back to God, which is the deepest part of you. How do you do this? The Enneagram. Mm -hmm. The Enneagram is not a personality test. It is a plan of salvation from the very start and through the whole thing. And even if, and I'll go ahead and answer this now, but we'll get more into it later. Even if you strip away all of that stuff and just do the thing itself, you're still engaging in a plan of sanctification Hmm. that is explicitly denied by scripture. It is a plan of sanctification that is behavioral modification, and it is an attempt to change oneself rather than be molded by the word of God and transformed by the spirit.
0: Now, it's interesting. You're not suggesting, I don't think, and I'm glad if I if i wrong. You're not saying that anybody who participates in this is participating okay. in alternate sanctification.
1: No, but but that's the point of it. Okay. So for for example, um, for for example, we, we can t- I'll, maybe I'll use my yoga example. Okay. Uh, someone can do mentally, cognitively, if you will, uh, yoga and not be thinking about all the Hinduistic realities within it. But yoga is designed yoga is designed as a precursor to transcendental meditation, right? When you do the breathing and you do the, the exercise in the way they prescribe, you do them. That's one of the main ways they have discovered to separate the soul from the body for out-of-body experiences. Hmm. So the issue is, is you might be doing the Enneagram, right? You might not be thinking about the sanctification things, but you're essentially building, right? you you're, you're trying to build an alternate sanctification model. You might not be cognitively thinking you're doing that. But that's what it is. It's kind of like if you, uh, you know, walk upstairs, you don't you know, you might not be thinking, "Oh, as I'm walking upstairs, I'm ascending to the second level of my home." You might not be cognitively aware of that, but it's what you're doing. Right, right. So that, does that make sense? So it's, yeah,
0: absolutely. And, yeah. and and it's also you're identifying to the source. The source is suggesting that there is something else involved. Like, okay, that might not be the pragmatic application. Here, like in somebody's life who just took a test and says, oh, I'm kind of like that. They're not already there, but the source is there. Yes. Now, this is one of the, the things that you address and um, I think is, is helpful too, that some people would say, well, isn't this what's uh, in, the, in the study of logic called the genetic fallacy? Ah, uh, yes. So, so, so like the idea would be that, and, and why it's a, a fallacious is that if you say, okay, the ground, the, the source, is wrong, uh, the source is wrong, uh, and there's a problem with the source, therefore, the, the conclusion is wrong. And I maybe didn't say that as accurately as I could, my logic teacher will be disappointed with me. But, um, like, but, but is, is this the genetic fallacy?
1: So, two ways we, we argue that it's not the genetic fallacy. The first way is this, um, so for example, we know and understand, uh, Marsha Montenegro did a great job on this, um, that Claudio Naranjo. Utilized the teachings of Oscar Acazzo and with the help of automatic writing, came up with this personality system called the Enneagram. So, understanding that, that this did indeed come from automatic writing, <clears throat> Christian understanding of automatic writing is that's occult and demonic. Could okay, that just be a standard Christian understanding of occultism and Gnosticism and prognostication, things like that? Right. So, given that, we now have to ask two questions Is the devil, literally, or demons, it, you know, if this really is truly automatic writing, et cetera? are they going to tell us uh, things that are true about God and things are going to cause us to grow closer to God? Or are they going to tell us things that are going to cause us to go away from God, which would be the automatic, not just assumption, but the the, essentially where you'd have to go with that. Yeah. Away from God. Away from God. So it's not just because it came from automatic writing demonic things. It's because we would naturally expect anything coming from that source to tell us false things. So it's not just saying, oh, because it's there, it's bad. It's No, because it's talking about spiritual things, right? Right. We would expect anything coming from that source to lie about those spiritual things with the intention of leading us away from God, being deceptive, syncretistic, or whatever else. But there's a second way you can go about it. So that's one way. Second way is look at the theology. My book demonstrates uh, that theologically, this disagrees with Christian view of God, Christian view of mankind, Christian view of salvation, Christian view of sanctification, Christian view of the end, it disagrees with Christian theology on every single level. So I don't even need to go to that to prove the enneagram's a problem. Christian Christian enneagram. It disagrees with Christianity, Orthodox Orthodox yeah. Christian. I'm talking about like all branches. You know, yeah, we're sure. talking about like you know, not even you know, even I even put in in the book um, theosis from Eastern Orthodox. I'm like, that's still not this. This is this is even further you know than 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 uh, some understands the theosis. It doesn't matter. Any Christian this is disagreeing with your theology at its core. And so I don't even need to go back because honestly, a lot of people don't really care about the where it came from issue. So sure. I just said, well, every single theological thing that Enneagram teachers teach on this is not just wrong, but it's a Christian heresy against standard orthodoxy.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a pretty bold claim. Now, one thing I, I jumped over, I started, I'm, I'm, I'm already at another side of this where I'm interested in kind of getting sure, into sure. the challenges that people have sure. presented, but Tell, could you just give us a little summary of what the Enneagram is?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, what the Enneagram is is, is first and foremost, <laughs> it's a philosophy about how we view ourselves, God, and um, who we are. So, this is gonna. And this is one of the reasons why people engage with it. It tells you who you are. It tells you how you can relate to God. It tells you how you can have better relationships. It tells you how you can get jobs. I mean, it's trying to answer. Every major question people have—I mean, my goodness, no wonder why it's seductive. Right. I mean, this thing's basically a, a one-stop shop for life. Wow. And essentially, what it is when you when you get into it—sorry, <coughs> I've been having a little bit of a cough lately. When you get into it and engage with it, uh, what you find is that you're going to essentially take a test like the Reso Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator, and it's going to give you your number. And this is actually a bad thing. Your number is not a good thing. It's your false self. OK, yes. Yeah, so that's another interesting piece is most people, are, Oh, my number. I'm so excited. No, no, no. they all say, no, 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 that's not a good thing. That's like the stuff you're going to have to deal with now going okay. forward. So you then have to well, I'll go ahead and say this. the Enneagram is then going to break down the, quote, mystical image of the human being into the empirical ego, which is the sum of your attitudes and behaviors. So your Enneagram number fundamentally is attitudes that you have and behaviors. In other words, it can change. If it's attitudes and behaviors that can change theoretically, then the second stage is finding a way to freedom or Christian freedom. And this is by moving through the Enneagram numbers, doing inner work so that it's inner meditation, self-reflection, by reading Enneagram books, by attempting to follow Enneagram advice, you're going to integrate the better parts of the other numbers together with the hope that you essentially transcend your number encompass the good in all of the nine numbers and then discover your true self gotcha and that's essentially what it is in a nutshell
0: <clears throat> and so then people get their they get their number and then they get a description of things that are problematic about their number and yes. then that that's it is it it's an, a, a, in some ways people would just call it a tool well how is this different then chris from the you know Myers Briggs or the disk inventory or any sure. other other type of description that you would take to analyze your own traits.
1: Myers Briggs isn't telling you your God. Oh. Myers Briggs also isn't telling you this is how you get saved. Myers Briggs isn't setting itself up as this is how you find your way back to God. Uh, quite literally, this is a religion, um, and the other ones are not. Um, okay. I, I'm still not a super fan of uh, personality tests. I think there's actually the cult of personality is a really good book on that. Um, and there's a couple others as well that kind of talk about the hidden dangers of the personalities, but they're nothing compared to the Enneagram. The is a religion. This okay. tells you all of the major worldview questions. It gives you answers to every single one. Myers, Briggs, the others do not do that.
0: Okay, interesting. Now this, one of the things that was happening as a leader and when I was um, the area commander for the Salvation Army in Tampa, we're always looking for things to work with our staff, particularly our lead staff, to help us figure out how we can know each other better, how we can know our own tendencies. So we've done things like, the disc or a variety of other personality pieces. And the Enneagram was getting popular and I heard people using it, people I respected in evangelical Christianity, leadership like experts were using it and people were preaching on it and they would like say, okay, I'm a three, I'm a two, whatever. And so I thought, man, if, if they're doing that and they're great leaders, maybe I need to think about it. So here I had a person who's a donor in the community where I served and somebody who was, um, uh, a psychologist and it was a part of his company was he developed psychological assessments and he was willing to donate personality profile inventories to us and he helped us so i said hey do you have anything on the enneagram now this person is agnostic at best uh, okay. religiously okay. Sure, sure. and sure. somebody actually he knows and if he listens to this <laughs> he knows that i've witnessed to him and i'd love for him to come to christ right that's just yeah. like very clear in our relationship nevertheless he's like do not trust this
1: Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, he said, man. This,
0: this is marketing. He said this is like he called it kind of like um, he, he well, he just leaned back on the fact empirically for him, big f- tools that use the big five personality traits are going to get you better information about oh, yourself. Yeah. Yes. Tell, talk. Respond to that. So
1: there is no scientific backing for the Enneagram. And virtually anyone speaking on the Enneagram admits this. I mean, I've seen this admitted in multiple different interviews, um, pretty much everywhere. None of them claim it. In fact, they claim that it's from the Desert Fathers. They claim that it's ancient wisdom. Uh, However, you know, again, Marcia Montenegro did a great job demonstrating that No, this
0: is actually- Hold up a second. You say Marcia Montenegro. I think I know what you're talking about. But why don't you tell people about her?
1: She's a former New Ager who's now a Christian, excellent lady, Uh, I love her very much, Um, and she wrote an excellent book on Richard Rohr and the Enneagram, and she's done a lot of videos, a lot of uh, interviews and things like that about it as well, Um, but I mean, again, she's right from the New Age, and she spotted this thing from a mile off and said that's definitively New Age, (laughs) you know, or or at least, you know, syncretistic, Um, and so she's another author in this area as well, and she's really good, she's a lot of fun, Yeah.
0: So a lot of people uh, like will point to the fact that there, this doesn't really have an empirical basis. And so That's you right. just show that there is this really, beyond just the worldview principles, does it flow, does it actually come from the New Age movement? Like, our, what are the parallels? So,
1: so, so no, and this is really important. <clears throat> well, and not directly. Um, okay. Again, these guys were involved in a cult. They were involved in a lot of what I will call new agey type things they definitely had a philosophy that was very similar to the new age. Okay. So the way that I talk about syncretism, origins don't matter in syncretism. What matters is, can you make a connection between the theology of one thing and the theology of another and have they blended them? That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing that Akazo and Naranjo and a lot of these Enneagram guys hold to the basic tenets of the new age movement, even though they may not identify as such. So they still have that philosophy. So it helps to talk about in terms of new age, because the philosophy is identical. You're God, you can make your way your own way to God. This is gonna bring you to a better place, a utopia of some kind, uh, panentheism or pantheism. It's all there. So even though some of these guys don't have a new age background, like a central new age background, the, the philosophy, the worldview, the religion is very similar. And so I, I thought it was very apt to make that connection because it's also why people in, within Christianity accept it and that's another thing i go into the book is how this in these incursions happen one of the right well, and i would well we could talk maybe about that later but the two main ones are denial of sufficiency of scripture uh, right. at some level, and then also an acceptance of pragmatism
0: <clears throat> okay acceptance of pragmatism let's just jump on that because that seems to be what people like like it's a popular thing like some a, a leadership author who i appreciate a pastor uh will say um and people know who I'm talking about, but I'll try not to say his name here. we uh, will do anything short of sin to bring somebody to Jesus, right? And I, I can resonate with that. That sounds similar to the founder of the Salvation Army, who would take um, what he called the devil's tunes and, and sanctify them and wash them in the blood of the Lamb. So what, what is it about this that ends up leading us to that place where um, it, pragmatism is exalted?
1: Yeah, so I want to go ahead and use an Old Testament reference uh, to this. Okay. I can also do New Testament references too, but I think there's some really good ones in the OT. <laughs> now, initially, now, and I know that, you know, Jesus is going to say, now you worship in spirit and truth, and I'll actually make that connection in a second. But initially, uh, back when the Israelites were in the wilderness, <clears throat> Mount Sinai, actually pre wilderness Mount Sinai, and uh, God said, hey, here I am, here's how you worship me, and what was the first thing they did? Well, they went and built a golden calf. Now, here's the question. Who is the golden calf a representation of?
0: Mm. it was yahweh yeah
1: it wasn't different god it was yahweh the problem was is god said this is not how you're to worship me it wasn't prescribed by scripture <clears throat> people tried to authorize unauthorized fire try to give unauthorized fire and were consumed you go to the new testament they had, jesus has in entire that, you know you won't be worshiping in a temple but you'll be worshiping the father in spirit and truth not just in spirit but in truth. In other words, there's still boundaries to how we worship God. We cannot simply worship God willy-nilly however we want. We can't simply balk at God's plan of salvation and just say, well, salvation is whatever we want. Sanctification is whatever we want. Spiritual growth is whatever we want. Those things aren't authorized. And so the thing to keep in mind with this, and this is what I would argue, is, is it the Bible is the supreme authority and sufficient Or is it the Bible plus? And this gets us into pragmatism, where it's essentially taught at seminaries and from some major speakers that it's not just the Bible, it's Bible plus. The Bible simply does not contain everything I need for godly living in our modern day. We need other things. And we can even go to demonic forces for other things. We can go to things that are agnostic and non-Christian for these things. Now, case in point, I'll say this. I'm not talking about going for math help. Or even some basics of psychology in terms of brain chemical dysfunction. You know, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about going to secular sources or even demonic sources for spiritual things. Spiritual things. Right. That's the problem. Going there for spiritual things. Because that essentially says the Bible just was not enough. Wow. And yeah, and that is the problem that we have is people have basically said, you know, it used to be uh, the liberal um, conservative split was over authority of scripture, right? Is the Bible God's word? Is it man's word about God? You know, here's what it is now. People can accept the authority of scripture, but they deny that it's all you need. Wow. That's the new split. They simply deny it's all you need. It's Bible plus. And with the Enneagram, the problem is, and it's it's impossible to make a case for it, even if you strip it all the way down, because even stripped down, what you're essentially doing is a type of sanctification. That's what essentially you're doing. Even if you just take the advice, you're trying to modify your behavior through, through uh, psychological means, you're trying to modify your behavior. And you're trying to essentially create a new you, hmm. and that is For it. your own works. Your own works. At the core of it, that's what it is. So even if you're just engaged now, I'm not saying people are cognizant that that's what they're doing, right, right. but that's what you're doing when you engage in the enneagram, even at a basic level.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it, it, you're saying this. It, this might be what folks are entering into, rather than not they know it or not. This is like right. leading to it. And maybe, maybe right. it doesn't lead you there. Now, critique me if I by saying this. If this, right, right. you see a problem with this, even. Maybe you're not concerned and it doesn't lead you away from Orthodox Christianity. You right. still affirm the Apostles' Creed, justification yeah. by faith. Uh, you still, like, you go, go through it. But you know, <laughs> I wonder could this, if it doesn't lead you there, but your uh, support and praise yeah. of the Enneagram, yeah. it might lead somebody else there.
1: This is what I tell people. Pastor would ask me, well, can we use it at my church? I say, well, can you guarantee that no one else at your church is going to get sucked into Richard Rohr? Wow. And, and that, that's the end of the conversation, because the answer to that is obviously no. Uh, but be, even beyond that, though, um, <clears throat> you know, knowing what it is, I mean, you know, actually researching, right, my kind of be research it, like, re, read their books your, yourself, read the definition yourself, you know, and right. you tell me whether you can use it, and the answer always comes back, no. The question is always, well, can we strip away everything? Right, but,
0: right, right. Yep, that's what people mind. would say. Okay, there's some good here. And that's one of the questions that we had from a friend of mine, actually yes. whose last name was Montenegro. Interesting, not this not related here. One of my good Yeah, friends. I'd be shocked oh, if she said
1: that. <laughs> um, so he's well, like,
0: can't we just strip away the good? Like, isn't aren't there good things that that maybe the Enneagram has come to like other religions have found things through general revelation? Yeah.
1: So the answer to that is do you remember uh 80s? Um, because how well, I don't want to ask you. How, uh, in the I'm 80s, I'm 41 years old, I'm still willing to admit it. We're close, we're close. Uh, you might remember the 80s then. Um, I do, I do. What was the 80s? Uh, kid, you remember 80s kidnappers? Do you remember the warning they told all of us for about oh, 80s?
0: I was scared to death I was going to be kidnapped. I don't know exactly what, uh, what, I don't know what you're alluding to though.
1: If a stranger is going to give you candy right out of yeah. a car and then tries to pull you in the car, right? Right. Here, here's the issue with the Enneagram the Enneagram is absolutely candy. Huh. all sin now i'm not calling it you know well i want to be careful how I say says sin in general is always going to taste good for the most part you know that, that's why people do it right so even in the case of the enneagram um the enneagram is going to taste good i don't d- deny that it has benefits even. i wouldn't even deny that
0: hmm.
1: but it's an 80s kidnapper hmm. you take the candy you like it where do you keep going you go back yeah, for sure more. you go back for more you go back for more and finally, you're in the car, you don't even realize it, and you're heading away from the Lord.
0: Hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what happens when we find another source for our faith, right? <laughs> the, the source for, or in like how, and in that, and I think that that's the challenge too, that when we deal with other things that can be classified as a worldview in our yes. time, yes, is that it ends, at it, what is the source for reality?
1: That's right. Well, and, and with the Enneagram, the, like I was saying, the problem is it's a worldview. Myers-Briggs is not a worldview. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is. This is a religion. It answers every question and it says, come to me for your spiritual knowledge.
0: You know, one of the things that well, people suggest now, here's an interesting thing. I'll go ahead and admit that I I went to the same undergraduate institution as Chris Hewitt, And uh, oh, okay. he was interesting. Like, and I is not, and I don't, we're not necessarily... They're not claiming him, right in the same way, particularly oh, as he's yeah. involved here at this point. But you know, he was a well-known speaker before he got into the Enneagram piece. And I'll say at my school, I was a music major, <laughs> as a composition major. one of the things that was emphasized, often in Christian higher education, um, at a liberal arts institution, is how everything is God's. Everything comes from him. Yes. God can redeem everything. So I could perform a classical piece of music from the Romantic period that was yep. talking about foreign deities, and I could find the good in that, right? The, yep. or, or, or that's like ex, ex sexually explicit and people might not know it because you're singing in a, another language. Not that I was a vocalist, but the same thing, is yep. like we recognize music comes from God. It's something that can be redeemed. Yep. This is art yep. that reflects God. So like, this is kind of the, the big tent perspective. Like everything yep. is God's, God can redeem everything. Let's yep. take it and champion it. What's your response to that? I mean, people might say that about the Enneagram.
1: Sure, can God redeem witchcraft? <laughs> uh, has, has he redeemed witchcraft? Now I'm, I'm throwing that to you. In yeah, it's good. That's good. But has he redeemed witchcraft? Right? Uh, has God redeemed uh, divination? Wow. Has God redeemed sin? Yeah. Uh, so the reality is, is that kind of, of thinking fails, right? That kind of, and I wasn't challenging you, by the way. I was just- No, I like it, I know, like it, I like it. a nice kind of way to throw it out,
0: right? I mean, uh, uh, you, there is a sense God redeems sin like he, and he can take our past and still use it like that. Well, our past,
1: I'm talking about sinful acts. Can God make it so that it is morally right to blaspheme his own name? There you go. so let's we'll get real specific yeah
0: that's good (laughs) Can
1: god make it morally right that you can go to demons for spiritual well-being Hmm. can god make it right that you can perform spells in his name for his glory to manipulate the natural world wow no he won't and no he can't and so that's the issue that's a great point chris thank you thank you yeah that's the issue the big 10 perspective is um, the, the, I mean, the answer is just no. It's just the problem is, is people are looking for whatever way they can to incorporate these things. Now, I'll get even scriptural on this. There's one New Testament verse that typically is used to defend this view, and it's Colossians uh, 1, 19 through 20, which says the following. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, and through him to, rec- uh, to uh, sorry, earth and heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross— now, some people are going to interpret this verse and say, well, this is God's, you know, he's, he's redeeming all things. He's reconciling all things. This is their justification for bringing everything in. But we've just demonstrated he's not bringing in witchcraft. He's not bringing divination. He's not bringing in sin into the picture. So clearly, we must have a, a, a misunderstanding of reconcile. Let's dive into the verse. How is he making peace? By the blood of the cross. Hmm. What's the blood of the cross do? Covers over sins. So in other words, he's defeating sin, and that's how he's reconciling all things. But here's another issue with this verse. Reconcile, in this case, Paul's use of the word. It's not making all things acceptable to Christ. He's using it to present the work of Christ as necessary to overcome alienation. Hmm. So all things that alienate us from God are being removed so that all things can be reconciled.
0: Right, they're not being brought back.
1: That's right. So in other words, in terms of reconciliation and the main view of this is people, one could argue creation as well in terms of creation subject to the groaning. I wouldn't disagree with that. But we're talking about the triumph and pacification of all things that are evil and sinful so that this alienation can be overcome so that we can be reconciled by the blood of the cross. This is not about trying to pull in every evil thing and make it acceptable to God.
0: Wow. This is really challenging and it should give, have us um, put our antenna up for a variety of things that enter into our lives, that attempt to explain w- who we are and where we're yes. going. What are um, what are some other things that just quickly like that are similar to like the Enneagram? Um, uh, uh,
1: you mean other things? Oh, you mean uh, synch- syncretisms?
0: Yeah, other uh, syncretist uh, sure, like sure. things. And I mean, I have sure. some thoughts, but I'd be curious uh, if what you should, even just things that are part of our popular culture.
1: Sure. Um, well, I mean, the other one in the book that I did was yoga. All right. Uh, So that that's a big one. And I have a lot on it there. And I have to admit actually Enneagram was more thoroughly syncretistic than Christian yoga was, (laughs) which is really funny. Uh, People really did try. I mentioned this in the book. They really did try to remove the Hindu gods from some of them anyway, from the the yoga. The problem is, is what yoga is. And there's eight arms and it is a missionary. um, It's essentially the missionary arm of Hinduism. And beyond that, it is meant to separate the body and the spirit from the soul. And even when you actually listen to yoga teachers and Christian yoga people, it, their, their theology, one step down from doctrine of God is thoroughly Hinduistic in, mm-hmm. in all of it. Uh, they're taught, people talking people about breathing in the Holy Spirit um, you know, as a personal force. They're talking about the pro- root problem. It's not being sin, but as being a, a disjunction between the mind, body, and the spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a complete, and then how you get better from that, how you get closer to God is by doing yoga right? So right. It's, it's the same kind of thing. It's still a, a change of the gospel. It's still a salvific plan. Other things though, Christian music. I mean, we, I, I mentioned this, uh, I may mention this book. I can't remember if it was in there, if I removed it, um, but because uh, it went through a couple editions there, <clears throat> but um, you, you've got Christian music that's teaching you theology. That's fundamentally new age. Okay. No doubt about it. You've got Christian musicians saying things like God is gravity. Uh, I, I mean,
0: it, God is what? God gravity? is gravity.
1: Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah,
0: sure. Interesting.
1: Yeah in interviews. I mean, this stuff's documented. <clears throat> so you've got all sorts of syncretism here at all levels. You've got prosperity gospel, um, which is actually very new age. It's a Quimby's new thought. It's the idea that whatever you want, you can manifest in your mind and bring it to yourself. Very similar in that category of prosperity gospel, that the gospel is essentially God blessing you with material things and all that kind of stuff. So syncretism's happened all over in Christianity. And it's 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 very difficult, honestly. It's difficult. I even say this kind of in there. Actually, I'll go ahead and read you this. This is the. Uh, did you read the dedication by chance? Did you have a? I I yeah, yeah. Of the well, this dissertation is, version. Dissertation Well, I'll, I'll read it here too. Um, you know, this book's dedicated to all who have experienced personal loss or persecution for resisting false doctrine and refusing to engage or permit the practice of syncretistic spiritualism, because it's one thing to stand for truth in the face of people who disagree. Yeah, you know, non Christians, but it's a whole nother thing when you're having to do it for brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it's just immeasurably hard, yeah, um, because yeah. the relationships are personal. <clears throat> right. For sure. So it's tough.
0: It's, I, I thought of another thing that could, this might be, and this is off the top of my head, uh, syncretistic is when you deal with things like, um, that take over our worlds. And as a pastor, I was often aware and, and, and a sports fan, but, uh, often I would find people who are just so much more dedicated to Mm. their sports teams than they are to the gospel. Right. And, and of course, that's a challenge. for How do you make the uh, preach disciple lead in a way that's compelling to people? But as you're talking through the worldview (laughs) pieces, I was, I was reminded that there's a way that it comes across seeming like, this is, if I, if my team can just win the, win the world series, if I, and I'm not saying every sports, but there are some times where it can be replacing. And I, and I think like television in general, like, I'm sure there's things in my life too, that can tend towards syncretism. What do you think is that, is that it's not syncretism classically, but there's syncretistic aspects to it.
1: Well, and I think CS Lewis actually has a pretty good run on this. Uh, I like, I like his, his view on this, which is if something's impacting your worldview, don't do it okay if something's not impacting your worldview, it's at least permissible so and that that was a summary of essentially some of the statements and i think there's some wisdom in that because paul's root right paul's talking about these things he's like look if we start banning everything you know and i'm summarizing paraphrasing but we start banning everything i mean we're going to be in communes and and that's the end of it (laughs) you know that's just that's just right 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 but he also was very strong against false teaching and I think anything, we have to be careful because unfortunately media and all this stuff has gotten to a point where it's normalizing homosexuality. It's normalizing the idea that white people are evil and racist. I've seen so many things recently where I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just literally framing all white people as evil, racist people. And that's right. it. Um, there's uh, we've, so we've got to be careful of these things because they will encroach our worldview. And there's certain things that I've just stopped watching. There's certain things that I've I've uh, stopped engaging that I used to because I'm like, I saw where it was turning worldview-wise. And I'm like, okay, this is going to start to have an impact. I'm just putting it away. Um, but, you know, I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote and, and uh, Tolkien wrote fantasy books, for example. It had wizards and things and stuff like that. In them. Yeah, yeah. But no one assumed that that was reality. That was and that was a fantastical saying that was impacting a person's worldview. But if you go to a young adult section in the bookstore, those books involving some of those fantastic elements absolutely are promoting a pagan neo-pagan worldview uh right. they're promoting it as as you know these things you should engage in and, and to get up your your fascination with them and all that kind of stuff so again there's a, a bit of discernment i try to err on the side of of uh, you know i try to cautious you know what i mean but i'm also not going to be a person who is just going hard on every last thing and trying to you know purge it until literally there's nothing left in our rooms uh, <laughs> you know it's at that point, we might as well be in monastery. I mean, if if we're going to that level with it, I don't think the Bible even uh, tells us to go that far with it either. I mean, it says if it's going to cause your brother to stumble, don't do it. So for example, uh, in college, even though I was uh, above age for something like uh, drinking alcohol or consuming alcohol, I refused to do so on the grounds that it would not be a good witness to those around me because the culture was such that alcoholism was rampant. So Mm -hmm. just as an example of things that aren't uh, prohibited directly and, and permanently by scripture, but yet could be a stumbling block. And I'm just offering that as an example.
0: That's great. And you know, a few weeks ago, we had a, a podcast that came out mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I looked at a, a, the Salvation Army, my denomination statement about not participating, abstaining mm-hmm. from the use of alcohol, tobacco. But interesting enough, in the exact same statement, it says, I'll abstain from alcohol, tobacco, the non medicinal use of drugs, yep. the occult. the occult yeah (laughs) and all else that can enslave the body or spirit
1: well and guess what the the enneagram does and if you go and look at testimonies okay oh man there are many testimonies of people who've gotten out of the enneagram and realized this and they, they didn't even see it it pulled me away from jesus that's the common comment
0: Okay, I want to talk to you about that. So it's interesting, Chris, like, here you go. You go do your PhD dissertation on something that is going to make you a lot of friends.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. I, I've gained 70% of my speaking. No, I've lost about 70% of my speaking engagements that I previously had. I've been personally attacked over this. I've okay. had, I've lost friendships. I mean, you name it. I've been slandered. Going against the Enneagram is an issue because it's money's involved. A lot of money, a lot okay. of money is involved in this. Um, it costs thousands of dollars to become certified as an Enneagram coach. You can charge anywhere from 50 to even up to $300 an hour for Enneagram counseling. Um, th- this is a big moneymaker. These books sell thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, yeah, no, th- this was picking a fight, not to pick a fight, but because I, ca- I care deeply, deeply about scripture, deeply about the church, deeply about people's salvation. And I was starting to see that this is really leading people astray.
0: Yeah. I was curious what your personal experience is like with the Enneagram. Sure. So I do it. I mean, I've never done it. I I have, you know, I was interested in it. I just haven't taken the time to, I I don't know if I'm a three or what, but go. So what was your experience?
1: Sure. Somebody introduced it to me a couple of years ago. uh, And I was like, oh, okay. I'll take the test. It's a fun little thing or whatever, you know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And didn't think anything of it. But then about a year later, a friend of mine came to me and said, oh yeah, I'm really into the Enneagram and it's Christian and it's fun. And it helps me spiritually. I was like, oh, okay. Well, Send me the book, I'll take a look at it. And I got Christopher his book. And I got into like page one or whichever page this is on. And I was like, oh, this is <laughs> this is something else. And so I, I took the book and I said, well, let me go through this with you. So I walked her through the first 80 or so pages and she literally said at the end, I couldn't tell that this was heresy when I read it, but you're showing me it's heresy on every page.
0: Mm, interesting. And
1: I didn't think anything of it again. <clears throat> I thought, well, I just helped a friend. Okay. <clears throat> but then I saw it's in virtually every major church in the country. Um, it is in churches that are conservative churches. It, it's, it is everywhere. In fact, uh, I think it's Todd Wilson said, if you're under 30, man, you've gotten an Enneagram number. This right. has captivated uh, younger people. It has captivated younger people. Millions of people are involved in this. And it is very dangerous. And, uh, and for the reasons I've said, because, and actually a good comment from yoga, uh, I've got one study I mentioned in the book, and <clears throat> dissertation is, the longer one engages with yoga, the more likely one is to identify less as Christian and more as uh, um, uh, potentially Buddhist and less as religious and more spiritual. In other words, just simply engaging yoga and the more likely one, if you engaged in it for, uh, for physical purposes, so many people and the studies show this switch to spiritual purposes as time mm-hmm. goes on. So the same thing with the Enneagram. It's like the more you engage with it, the deeper you go because it demands more of your time. It demands more of your attention. It demands more of your reading. You just don't have time for the Bible. You don't have time for other stuff if you take the Enneagram seriously. And so when I saw that went worldwide, I said, well, how many books are there from the academic perspective? N- not really any. I mean, Marsha my was very good. I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about her book, but just, you know, PhD, just there weren't any, <clears throat> there's yeah, only sure positive said. ones actually. So I said, you know, I think it's time to write something on this. I think it's time to really do a theological analysis of it and determine once and for all what this thing is. And that's what we did.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for taking time to do it. And, uh, you know, I applaud you for sticking your neck out there in a, a, where it's a tough market for getting academic jobs and other, like your own reputation is building it. But ultimately, I think you're building it on the truth, like, and, and the conviction behind what accompanies your journey and to study deeper. That's yeah. a big part of what you're doing. So I applaud you for taking time to do this. And you're right, it has made its way into many denominations. My first interaction with it was within my own denomination. There was a whole conference that was yep. being run and <laughs> they brought in an Enneagram speaker. And I, was, I didn't know what, I had zero idea what it was. I just knew that people were identifying their numbers and they were analyzing it. I just thought, okay, this is a personality thing. But then mm-hmm. I saw they gave God a number.
1: Oh yes, that yesterday. was uh,
0: where God is. I am sorry. I don't know enneagram fans, scholars. I don't know the num what the numbers mean. But God was given a person. And, and hearing what you're saying, if they're supposed to be negative, um, this is problematic. Have you seen that, or what do you think of that? Yeah. So
1: I, the one that I've seen the most is that Jesus and companies or embodies all nine of the numbers, and he is the true image of God, and so he embodies all nine. Okay. Um, and that's kind of our goal is to become like Christ so we need to embody all nine numbers as well and that's when we achieve uh, the knowledge that we are our true self and that God is incarnate within us. So yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. part of it too. I mean and, and there's no end of using scripture and saying, "Hey, see, David's a 3 or you know, Moses is a 5 or you know, whatever." I mean, they right. love doing that kind of stuff. And and the thing is it's it's very similar to astrology in these ways as well and that's another big kind of thing when you do a side-by-side comparison even to the extent and I'll give you this, that they believe there's an Enneagram energy that is eternal, that operates on humanity dictating what they will do and how they will act. And that is straight from astrological science, that there is an astra- astrological energy that acts upon you to determine help determine your actions. I doubt.
0: Yeah. You show too that there's a connection to the horoscope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. T- t- talk to me about that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so birth charts. So essentially when you, when you look at this stuff and I'll go ahead, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and just read yeah, sure. <laughs> um, numerology here. So uh, see if you can tell me which one's the Enneagram, which one's the horoscope. We'll see if you can, sometimes people can, because they're familiar with the language, uh, but uh, we'll see. Um, so this is one of them. They still love to set goals, rise to challenges and solve problems. They feel valuable, which unleashes a tender benevolence that is focused on a common good. That, that's one okay second one these people emphasize the thinking aspects of life their service to community is primarily expressed through thinking planning analyzing and memorizing mm-hmm. which well, one's the second
0: one's probably enneagram but the only reason is cuz the word unleashed in the first
1: guess what the first one's enneagram the second oh one's
0: interesting enneagram. you can't tell wow it's the same thing i mean
1: it's almost like they lifted it straight from from the horoscope yeah Wow. <laughs> I like that. that. I, like, I love your response to that. It's great. Yeah, you got me. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> that's so cute, but I love it. No, you can't. Well, that was a thing. I, I, did I, you I hear couldn't. my confidence? <laughs> I know. I know. It was great. But no, but you can't tell that that's kind of the whole point is that, you know, you got to take it. At some point, you got to just take a shot because it's the same thing. And that's the issue is, is really the advice. So I think And Marsha Montenegro, again, I know I mentioned her a lot, but she's done a lot of good work in this area. Um, the thing about it is, and she'll say this, is that she can read your birth chart when she was new age and you'd think it was you, you'd think she knew you to a T. Wow. And the, because the problem is that stuff works. It actually does work because the way they've developed the way they've said it does work. It makes you feel like it's you. Otherwise people wouldn't engage with it. Yeah. The Enneagram has to work on some level. It's got to make it feel like it's you or no one would buy into it.
0: Right. And this is the
1: problem with pragmatism. just because it feels good doesn't mean it's not
0: killing you wow we'd be so cautious with these type of things now you might since since the other piece that you talk about the other worldview is yoga you might have heard i'm a i'm a fan of justin Briley's unbelievable radio show podcast, and he just had on two people that i think he thought every now and this happens to him you know he's been doing this for over 10 years and yeah maybe 15 and um Every now and this happens where you gets somebody on the debate, and really they just start. They're on the same side. On the same and side, yeah. <laughs> this is what happened with the yoga debate. I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear this. And it, basically, they're both like, stay away. Like, if you can, stay away from this. And the, the one guy was a. There was one person who was at first you thought was going to be more pro christian yoga but he he was just like well maybe some body movements here but you know you might be able to use those he said but i don't even hardly recommend that i mean he was just very cautious and, and and most of it was it was this isn't a critique and there are p- family members of mine who have enneagram numbers and our <laughs> family members who do yoga like christian yoga so i love you all <laughs> I, and, and i'm not but what happens is is it's the the witness of what this could do what it might lead other people to i think that that's what would be my very (laughs) critique and what you've helped me see is like is this leaning into and does this have the possibility of leading somebody to another worldview
1: there you got it that's exactly it well and even with yoga i mean you know if if we get into it um when you actually get into christian yoga books and things like that it's like this is still thoroughly hinduistic they the, the problem is they thought well if i just remove all the god references that would do it Uh, but it doesn't. And actually I mentioned in there two other organizations that are Christian alternatives to yoga or, or alternatives to Christian yoga, I think is the way they put it. And they explicitly set out saying exercise is not the enemies exercise is just part of how God made us. And that's true. Our bodies. And that's the thing. Yoga doesn't own exercise. Yoga doesn't own the human body. So they, they set out to say, we are explicitly rejecting all of the tenets of yoga. We're just developing an exercise program that's usable with Christians. And they did a great job. Lorette Willis, I actually have an interview with her on my website as well. Lorette Willis is great. I love her so much. She's awesome. And she's got a really solid program. But she explains it all. She's like, look, this is the missionary Hinduism or yoga, missionary arm of Hinduism. The stuff is worshiping gods. The stuff is, is built to separate the soul from the body. It's built for spiritual purposes. Physical is only ever secondary. Mm. And so she built a whole exercise program that's, that's really good. So yeah, there's alternatives. We don't have to do yoga to be healthy. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't. There's other stuff out there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, last question is like, what if somebody's in a church and their pastor is presenting on this idea? You know, it's uh very complicated to think about appro- approaching the spiritual leader of your congregation yes. to talk about this um, or f- w- what would you suggest somebody do in that situation?
1: So I'll give that. And I'll give even a couple general things about how we're, how we even go forward from where we're at in our society right now. Cause that's also just difficult. People are more and more difficult. So the problem is this is with a spiritual leader, somebody in there, We have, as a church member, we have every right to raise uh, questions and concerns from scripture. So the first thing, but we have to do it in a respectful way, and we have to do it in a way that gives them the opportunity to alter or change their mind or be corrected without uh, rebuking so hard. If a fellow pastor, that's more you can rebuke. If it's a pastor, if it's on level, if it's coming from from under level, you can still make the, the case for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the attitude has to still be an attitude of submission because it's still your pastor. You're still the member. There's still got to be a submission there. But you believe that there's something with this that's not aligned with the scripture. You have every right to bring it to their attention. Now, you then have the conversation. You have the discussion, et cetera. If they say no, and like in this case, you're convinced, no, this is this is like I am. This is it. That's a time to find a new church situation. It, it just is. Um, yeah, hopefully yeah. within the denomination, within the thing. But at that point... Um, you can no longer submit to their authority because you've essentially said they are walking on purpose, unrepentantly outside of Scripture and outside of Christian orthodoxy. Um, so at that point, that's a that's a church change issue. Hopefully, still within the denomination, uh, but it's you know or within your your group. But you, you'd have to um, because yeah. this is going to start to become a dominant thing. P- people do sermons on this, they do trainings on this, they hire people. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. Wow. So unfortunately. If you're, it's a church member, elder, or pastor situation, that's how it has to go. And you have to be respectful. You have to be, because the pastor might not know and He might change his mind. He might say, oh my goodness, I have no clue.
0: Right. You, sure. You sure.
1: You can feel free. You can even say, hey, have you seen this book? Yeah, <laughs> you here know, you go. Say, hey, have you read this book? <laughs> you know, you can do it like that, but you've got to be respectful because of the relationship and how it is in terms of the, these direct challenges. They're going to turn pastors and elders off.
0: Right. It, just, you know, pastors going. probably... As a pastor, I could say, like, it's a little tough if somebody comes up like a heresy hunter on you. And yeah, exactly, so exactly. I wanted, but I'll admit, like, of course, in people, mm-hmm. I, could, I could bring up areas that I've changed where I felt like something I might have emphasized earlier in my ministry, Same uh, here. Same people have helped me see yeah. uh, a fuller picture of the implications of some of the things that I, I was preaching and leading in. And so, but it's hard. It's hard to make those changes. And maybe this podcast would be something you could share. We could share too. Yeah. Like you could just say, Hey, listen to this. That's listen, right. to Andy talk about this with, uh, with Chris, this might be a, a way into a conversation.
1: And, and I think that's the key when, when it's that type of a relationship, you know, <laughs> we we just gotta be respectful and showing them an interview. Like this is great. A book is great. Having a conversation, like a heresy hunting kind of thing. It, it, it just, it automatically turns the person who's, who's in authority off. It just turns them off. Right. And I've had people in my own congregation say, oh, question various things and stuff. And we have a nice scriptural theological conversation. And that always goes well, always gets us back to where we need to be. Uh, so that's my encouragement for people who are dealing with this. And then if, if they say, no, this is the way we're going, sorry. I think there's some other theological convictions that might be, that might be problematic. Sufficiency of scripture looks like it might be being denied, maybe even authority. We'll see. You know, you got to maybe probe on some of those doctrinal issues because I've had pastors at, I've had pastors at very large churches tell me we officially deny the sufficiency of scripture. Wow. Those words. huh? Oh, I was, I asked it pointedly and I got a pointed answer. (laughs) Wow. I've had this happen. Um, I'm not going to say anything about who or anything like that, but I've had this happen and uh, I was shocked. I was shocked. I've had pastors admit that they are pragmatists. Yeah. I mean, you name it. And I did some investigation. Oh boy. It was, uh, the responses I got were fascinating.
0: So, yeah. Wow. Well, Chris, one of the things this podcast is called more to the story and I hope everybody's seeing that there's more to the story than just a simple personality profile involved with the Enneagram. There's a whole worldview that ultimately if this is not of God and there might even be a demonic sense of like what's happening in it, that is meant to pull you away. And let's just be cautious. But more to the story. So there's more to the story of the Instagram. But I always ask this, or I try to ask it of, of all my uh, on all my interviews. Is there more to the story for Chris? Like, uh, Is there something you like to do beyond uh, talk about C.S. Lewis and apologetics?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Though. <laughs> there's a lot of things. I mean, my big passion, I, I would say, I mean, this is one of them, right? Definitely. Sure. Um, and I know the next thing I'm about to say may not put me in the best camp. Um, but my wife is uh, Messianic Jewish. Okay. <laughs> um, and her whole family, her whole family was, they actually got saved out of Judaism into Messianic Judaism. It was a fascinating story. Yeah. And so I've always had just a passion for the old Testament. I've always had a passion for Israel, um, and, and for understanding things in, in that nature. And so I love a bit archaeology and I, I love uh, talking about Israel and about the old Testament. So that's my other kind of big passion, um, okay. as well as, is, is that kind of stuff and the covenants and things. And it's a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, where can people find information about you if they want to read more of what you've written or see some of your speaking or get in touch with yeah. you? Where can they find you? So,
1: I've got my articles published on SOT.church. <clears throat> That's where my articles are published. It's our church website, but it's also where my articles are published. And I've got probably about 40, 50 articles on there. Um, and then I also have a, a YouTube, uh, Spirit of Truth Outreach. So, if you go Spirit of Truth Outreach, you'll find YouTube. We've got all kinds of apologetics, we've got a full systematic theology course on there. Uh, free just you know watch it um we've got um i do live web stream or webcasts every week uh tuesdays and thursdays alternating and um we have sermons as well so it's a lot of fun
0: great well chris thank you so much for taking time with me and my audience it means a lot to me and thank you for the work you're doing i know that there's been discouragement probably that's come because of the criticism you received. but really just be being be encouraged by the way god's using you